Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Happy birthday. We've been asked to, to stop singing. You. Just say happy birthday. Happy <laughs> birthday to Sophie and go stuff you all. No, happy birthday, Soph. I'm not going to sing the whole song, but how are you? I'm good. I'm pretty good. It's look. I'm pregnant. My birthday's been pretty low key, but Mm. it's been lovely. I'm feeling very loved. On Saturday, I had a birthday brunch and a bit of a baby, a very early baby sprinkle. I'm 20 weeks pregnant, but you know, by the time you're 31 and it's your third child, people are like, I think you can wrap this all up in just one event. Like we don't need to celebrate (laughs) you any more than that. So that was lovely. And then today I'm actually going out for lunch with my parents and my in-laws. Everyone's up together. It just so happened to coincide with my birthday. They can say what they want. They can pretend they planned it all. It definitely was coincidental that it happened to be my birthday. And my only request was, can we please go out for lunch rather than go to dinner? So you can stay awake. Well, I'm just... I don't know if it's because I'm third time pregnant. I don't know if my iron infusion didn't work, but I am so tired. I don't know if it's just because I've just turned 31. I'm over the hump. You're old. That's it. That's it, babe. Oh, my God. People tell me. Oh, actually, tell us in the Facebook page, Chats for BTB Legends, come join us because we're all about the Facebook page now. Tell me, am I tired all the time because I'm pregnant, because I'm 31, or because I have two children that no one seems to make it through the whole night sleeping, even though they're four and a half and two and a half. But yeah, my request to my husband was, please do not get everyone together for dinner because I will sit there feeling so bad, Mm. unable to give anything to the conversation. And I think that's why Saturday's brunch was so nice because it was mainly a bunch of mums. And I feel like mums are just at their best in the morning. Like everyone was just like firing. What other people probably in their early 20s are like at night after a few drinks? I feel like mums are like that in the morning just after a coffee and everyone's like chatting and then it gets to midday and everyone just goes downhill from there. And I think it's a good idea to do that when you're pregnant because you don't really want to be surrounded by people drinking and having like a good time in the afternoon. Not that you really care, but it's just nice that people are sort of on the same level as you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like if people are pregnant for their hens, it's like that's totally. when you have a bridal shower, not a yeah. hens. <laughs> no, definitely. But, totally, but I'm feeling loved. Good. No ill feelings about turning 31. I feel, you know, proud of what I've accomplished in my 31 years. I was actually having a discussion with someone the other day and I was saying it's pretty wild that like I'm going to be 31 when I pop out my third child. And then I had to think about it and I want to say this to all the mums out there, especially those who have had hyperemesis or been sick in pregnancy and have done it multiple times in a quick succession, 
I was looking back on the last five years. So Poppy's four and a half. So I've been doing this gig for around five years when you include pregnancy. So if you add up my first trimesters, that's nearly a year of the past five years. And then I was like, I've been pregnant for like a year and a half or more. No, nearly two years. No, over two years of the past five years. And then I breastfed those two for 14 months. I was like, so I've been doing that. I was like, no wonder I'm freaking tired. That's a busy five years. Honestly, I feel the same. And I... (laughs) You're like, I'm lost for words. (laughs) No, and I, I feel like I'm still tired, but I feel like I'm coming out of it a little bit so now, good. which is nice. So there is hope. Because <laughs> there, there is hope So Yumi's there. like three and a bit. I really feel like you are. You're really moving into that next stage. Yeah, I'm beyond the bump, believe it or not. <laughs> you are. You're beyond the bump. We'll, we'll all have the pouch for life, but we're beyond yeah. the bump. <laughs> oh, yeah. That little gun's sitting right there and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So we got an epic Rudolph Fabulous. Well, is it epic? I don't know, but it was intense and we we, we were a little bit shook when we read it. So we were going to yeah. read it out to you guys. Okay, rude or fabulous, but it's mainly just rude. So my partner and I are building a house and made the decision to do all the painting ourselves, mainly because the bank wouldn't give us a loan if we didn't laugh out loud. But not laugh out loud. (laughs) Yeah, so angry. So we are up to the painting stage, which I've been doing almost all day, every day for the past week and a half. Go girl. My partner works 12 hours a day, so I've done it mainly on my own. Go girl. My toddler has been going to daycare, which she usually does during the week on certain days. And anytime she hasn't been at daycare, she's been with my mother-in-law, who I'm so grateful for. Anyway, another family member had noticed I'd been away from my toddler and she had been in care of my mother-in-law a lot this week and had the audacity to say she won't know who her mum is by the end of the week. Which one made me pretty mad and two, added to my guilt of not spending time with my daughter this week and even though what I've been doing is for her and our family. Rude or fabulous? Well, very, very, very rude. That very rude. Acquaintance, family member, whoever they are, needs to get in the bin. But the thing I found fabulous is then after that, she said, but thankfully I listened to last week's episode all mm. on being the good enough mother. And she said, I quickly realized that there was no point in feeling guilt around this. Mm. What I was doing was a decision we'd made. I was happy with the decision. My daughter was happy with the care she was getting in other places. And so they said, she said that, you know, she moved on through and through that feeling really quickly, which made me so stoked. So I I'm saying that's fabulous and the mum hack of the week is if you're feeling shit about any part of motherhood, which I feel like as mothers there's always something we feel like we can be doing better, go back, listen to last week's episode about why the perfect parent and especially the perfect mother myth is a myth and why being a good enough mother is better for us and better for our kids. Yeah, and that person and anyone that sort of comes in, you know, saying something like that, there's always something going on in their life that they're they're saying that to you for. So just seriously, it's like water off a duck's back and you keep on moving on. But and I know you it's, ram that tank. Yeah, you gotta ram it and you gotta just 
you know, it's not even worth just blowing up about it. It's just moving on. So I even think listening to that episode every now and then, not that we're just going to sit here plugging our own episode, (laughs) but it's a really good episode to have if you get overwhelmed and you're starting to feel guilty time and time again, just come back and have a refresh. Quite a few people have messaged in saying that they listened to it once and then they kind of listened to it again to you know, once they'd got the idea of what the episode was about, then they went back for more practical tips and we're stoked. We love multiple listens, don't we? We do. We just always say listen on different devices. It doesn't count to us if it's on the same device. Yeah. Or listen on Apple Podcast one day and then on Spotify Spotify. another day. (laughs) And then leave us a review while you're there. While we're really being thirsty, leave us a review. (laughs) Today's episode is with Dr. Timmy. We've got him back. Before you start, I've just got to warn people that I sing again in this episode. <laughs> yeah, and don't leave reviews about the singing, all right? We know it's lame. Oh, we know yeah. we can't sing. We're not we Mariah know Carey. it's cringy. Like, That's just why we have do a it. laugh. Like, yeah. it's cringy when Jade does it. I actually have a really exceptional voice. <laughs> yeah. We. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Uh, I used to. I don't know where it went. Um, It went wherever my pelvic floor went. But anyway, (laughs) Dr. Timmy is on today's episode. He is chatting all about blood pressure issues in pregnancy. It's a super educational one, but I think even if it's something that you haven't experienced, I think it's so cool to just learn about these things that can be super common in pregnancy and what they mean because you're bound to have someone in your life who you know, goes through this and how cool if they can have a friend that knows about what the different conditions are. I learned an absolute shitload and I thought before we were going to talk about it that it was going to be so boring. But as usual, Dr. Timmy makes everything exciting. He says a few sneaky little things here and there. So (laughs) it's definitely, definitely eventful. And we really hope you guys get something out of it. Guess who's back, 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 back again. I need to stop singing. You do that every time. I know. He's back. Dr. Timmy is back. For those who have not heard of him before on the potty, you must be new around here. Now, actually, he hasn't been on for a while. No, he's Timmy, where have you been? Where have you been? But for those who don't know, Dr. Timmy is most importantly my dad, Sophie's dad, but he's also a gynecologist, obstetrician, and fertility specialist. And we get him on quite regularly to chat all things pregnancy, birth, etc. Etc. Timmy, where have you been? Well, I've been in the wilderness since about episode 89. <laughs> Did you go back and check? <laughs> no, no, I think it was 80 something. <gasps> That's a long time. I'm getting a lot of feedback from our induction episode. Oh, good or bad? Great feedback. People oh, were saying that they found it very informative and that they were told, told to listen to it. In fact, Sam did a delivery in Ballarat. Sam's my brother. And Sam delivers the baby and she calls the baby Goldie and admits to Sam that, oh, I've named the baby after your sister's baby. (laughs) And then she said to Sam, and actually I changed my mind about being induced after listening to your dad's episode on Beyond the Bump about induction. So there's Sam doing the delivery and his sister, his niece and his father all get a mention. 
How good is that? That's a family affair. <laughs> that is a family effort. Beyond the bump is permeating. <laughs> is that rude or fabulous? I don't know, both. Well, it's good to have you back, Timmy. We're chatting all things blood pressure in pregnancy. This has actually been asked for a lot, whether it's women who have experienced low blood pressure or high blood pressure issues during pregnancy, and it can be a bit of a confusing world to navigate. So you are here to tell us everything we need to know. Well, I'm glad it's been asked for because I feel like I come on and talk about high blood pressure in pregnancy or blood pressure in pregnancy, and it's pretty boring compared to some of the other episodes. We need to start slicing specific things out so people can hoe in because pregnancy, obviously, there's a lot of things that are involved and blood pressure is, it does, it, ready for this one? It does come up. Oh, that's not from your episode on erections. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) All right, Timmy, well, it's your responsibility today to make discussions about blood pressure interesting and entertaining and educational, so no pressure. But we want to know first and foremost, is it common for women to experience low blood pressure during pregnancy and if so, why? Well, probably the pregnancy doesn't make someone have low blood pressure, it's probably somebody who already has low blood pressure and then during the pregnancy has symptoms as a result of having low blood pressure. So to put that into perspective, when somebody goes to their GP to have their blood pressure checked, you do need to remember that that GP will have spent most of the day checking the blood pressure on people over 65, over 70 who have high blood pressure. So when they check the blood pressure on a young, healthy woman and it's 90 on 60, yes, that's comparatively low blood pressure, but for that actual person, that's a completely normal blood pressure. That's their blood pressure. And particularly very small people might have um, incredibly low blood pressures with the, the higher number, the systolic blood pressure being as low as even 70. So low blood pressure in itself can be normal blood pressure but in pregnancy it's normal for the normal mechanisms that maintain your blood pressure in a very narrow range to be blunted so that drops in blood pressure will cause symptoms because if you're cruising along with a blood pressure of 90 on 60 or 70 on 50 and your blood pressure drops, then you're more likely to feel faint or dizzy or stars before your eyes and things like that. So when you're pregnant, those uh, natural reflexes that, that maintain your blood pressure are dampened down. And normally when somebody stands up or sits up suddenly, there are receptors in your blood vessels that then lead to very quick physiological changes that adjust the blood pressure and keep it normal. And when you're pregnant, those reflexes aren't quite as sharp so that if you sat up suddenly or stood up suddenly or went from a very cold space into a very warm space where there's normally a very quick change in your circulation, your body doesn't adjust as quickly, your blood pressure drops and you feel... Um, faint, dizzy, sometimes nauseated. And if you then added to that that perhaps you've got 
some dehydration because you've got nausea in pregnancy and you're not keeping your fluids up. And that means you have less circulating volume and less ability to adjust your blood pressure. You will get symptoms as a result of low blood pressure. So it has to be said that unless it's an actual medical low blood pressure caused by shock in a medical catastrophe, if you're walking around with a low blood pressure, that's a healthy, normal, good thing. But in pregnancy, it might be something that that causes some symptoms. So I would recommend to people if they're experiencing low blood pressure episodes and faintness, that if they were driving or in a situation where fainting would be dangerous, that if they feel any symptoms suggesting that they're about to faint or feeling faint, that they pause, pull their car over or pull their heavy machinery over (laughs) and make sure that they, um, you know, allow their blood pressure to adjust. And are things like stepping into a hot shower, because you were saying going from like cold to hot, do you have to kind of like warm up your shower? Yeah, Yeah, and just be careful that if you feel faint that you sit down in the shower and don't let yourself faint in there. The reason why you would get faint stepping into a hot shower is that your body's adjustment to heat is to send more of your circulation to your skin and your skin can take up a massive volume of your blood flow and therefore your actual circulation and the blood that's flowing to your brain will drop because your blood pressure is related to the blood that's in your big vessels, not out in your periphery like your skin. So you don't feel faint because there's like more blood going to your uterus and to the baby or anything like that? No, no. There's no doubt that pregnancy is an amazing physiology and the increase in circulating blood volume that women are able to adjust to during pregnancy is a miracle in itself. And to look at the changes that occur in your body just with regard to your cardiovascular system is incredible. And then, of course, the adjustment when the baby's born, when an enormous amount of circulating volume suddenly leaves. So certainly pregnancy is a challenge for your your heart and your blood vessels and your blood pressure and therefore issues arise with high blood pressure, low blood pressure, sudden changes in blood pressure, and, of course, in relation to delivery, blood loss, which the body needs to adjust to very quickly. Is the change in blood volume in pregnancy, is that what leads to you feeling like short of breath and that kind of thing, even really early on when you Mm. go up a flight of stairs? Because I feel like it was like as soon as I weighed on the stick, as soon as I walked up the stairs, I felt out of breath. Yeah, well, there is an interesting explanation for that in that your sensation of shortness of breath is due to receptors in your body that suggest your circulating oxygen level. And if your oxygen level is low and your oxygen saturation is low, your body reads that as requiring more oxygen. So often if somebody is feeling short of breath in pregnancy, if we actually put oxygen monitoring on them, their oxygen levels are completely normal. They're just receiving false information due to the dilation of the veins in your chest 
giving you a misinformation that you're short of breath. My receptors are dramatic. Who would have thought that? that? That's so odd. That's so incongruent to the rest of me. (laughs) Your spear receptor, your (laughs) oxygen receptors. (laughs) All of it. So what is hypertension? Hypertension, of course, is high blood pressure and hypertension and the various hypertension-related illnesses in pregnancy is the most significant group of serious complications of pregnancy. So preeclampsia, which is a specifically pregnancy-related condition, is the most common serious complication of pregnancy. And that's why in your pregnancy, when you reach the third trimester, your visits get closer together. And by term, you're seeing the doctor every week because really the main reason for that is that you're having your blood pressure checked and as you get closer to your due date, the risk of your blood pressure rising increases and therefore the visits get closer together. So how can you tell if someone has high blood pressure in pregnancy or that it's not just white coat hypertension, which is, you know, high blood pressure caused by being anxious by the fact you're at the doctor? Like pregnancy Mm. can be a very anxiety-inducing time. How can you tell which is which? Yeah, well, it's not a problem I face because patients are very relaxed and calm with me. Oh, and I, I don't wear a white coat. Have you got a high blood pressure now just saying that? <laughs> no, that's a good question. And, of course, you are taking the blood pressure at every visit. So you have a sort of record of blood pressure throughout the pregnancy. And often patients will come along and say that they're actually anxious and that they've been had high blood pressure in the past when they've seen doctors. So there's a couple of things I'd say to that. Number one is when you take a blood pressure, the monitor will often say what the heart rate is. Therefore, if the blood pressure is a little bit high, but the heart rate is unusually high, that would be suggestive that the patient's anxious. You could also take the blood pressure at the end of the consultation Mm. if you want to recheck it when perhaps the patient has had a chance to regroup and is feeling a little bit more relaxed. And in cases of of high blood pressure in pregnancy, sometimes I'd even get the patients to buy their own blood pressure monitor, which you can buy for basically under $100. And if they do their blood pressure at home, on a regular basis, it is interesting how often the blood pressure is lower if it's monitored at home. The other thing that we sometimes notice is that when a patient is admitted to hospital with high blood pressure, often when they're initially admitted to the hospital, their blood pressure goes down over the first few readings. But it is if it is genuinely preeclampsia, it then turns around and starts climbing up again. And what is considered high? Like, is it based off what the person's blood pressure is normally, or do you go this number and above is high? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, one of the important parts of the definition of preeclampsia is that it's a condition of the second half of pregnancy. So, therefore, by the time we've reached the second half of pregnancy, we do know what the baseline blood mm. pressure is. So if somebody had a blood pressure of 90 on 60 compared to somebody whose booking blood pressure was 120 on 80, then you're dealing with quite a significant rise to just reach 120 on 80, which is Mm. considered normal blood pressure. So the blood pressure that 
would be accepted as the sort of definition of high blood pressure is 140 over 90, or that's the systolic and diastolic levels. And if either of those levels were higher, we would consider that high blood pressure. That doesn't mean that the person needs to be delivered. I'm just saying that that would spark a, a conscious note of what that blood pressure is up. But also if the systolic blood pressure rose by more than 30 from what was the normal baseline, you would be keeping a closer eye on the blood pressure from then on. And is there anything that can be done to keep blood pressure down in pregnancy? Well, being a healthy weight and having a healthy diet and exercising will not only help keep blood pressure more normal in pregnancy, but it will also mean you've got a healthier blood pressure when you're not pregnant. However, it's fair to say that preeclampsia is a condition of pregnancy and can affect very fit, healthy people and um, is more a complication of their pregnancy than of their overall well-being and lifestyle. And is bed rest still something that's recommended? I feel like back in the day, every second pregnant woman was put on bed rest, but it feels like it's not as common anymore. No, in fact, I would I would be more likely to recommend that the person was doing some gentle exercise, mm. going for walks and staying active. Bed rest in the past has been used in the thought that it might reduce the risk of miscarriage. It was also used in the past in pregnant uh, patients who had a small baby, thinking that if they had bed rest, that would give the baby better circulation and make it grow and also for blood pressure. But in fact, in all of those instances, bed rest has been shown to be unhelpful. Oh, there you go. What causes the increase of blood pressure towards the end of pregnancy? And can it be a sign that you're about to go into labour? No, I wouldn't. In fact, in normal pregnancies without complications, the blood pressure often drops in the second trimester. And you might find that blood pressure recordings over the course of the pregnancy are lowest in the second trimester. But if the blood pressure rises and it is preeclampsia, that will continue to rise and that isn't due to anything that that pregnant woman is doing. It's, it's a response to a condition that they're experiencing in their pregnancy. And we actually feel that even though preeclampsia itself in its definition is, is referred to as a complication of the second half of pregnancy, preeclampsia was probably predestined by the way that the placenta attached to the uterine wall and the initial, what we could refer to as, as invasion of the placenta into the placental bed and establishing that relationship between the uterine circulation and the placental circulation. And therefore, preeclampsia, although it doesn't happen until later mm. on, was probably predestined right back at the early part of placental formation. So preeclampsia is diagnosed in the second half of pregnancy, is that correct? Yeah, well, it's probably worth going through, you know, what is preeclampsia? Yeah. So preeclampsia is, number one, a condition confined to pregnancy. So you can't get preeclampsia when you're not pregnant. Preeclampsia is defined as a, as a condition that occurs in the second half of pregnancy although I have said that it may well be rooted 
in the start of pregnancy. It's also what we refer to as a multi-system disease. So in other words, in medicine, we divide the various organs and bodily functions into what's called systems. So the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, the gastrointestinal system, the hematological system. So preeclampsia is a multi-system disease. It can affect virtually every organ in your body. So the most classic symptoms of preeclampsia are high blood pressure, protein in the urine, and edema or swelling. But if we look at some of the organs in your body, it can affect your brain with swelling of the brain. And indeed, preeclampsia means preeclampsia with eclampsia being fitting. So if someone is preeclamptic, it refers to the fact that they are at risk of having a seizure. And the word eclampsia, I think I've already said this on a previous episode, is actually the Greek word for lightning. So that is sort of suggestive of its sudden and catastrophic consequences when actual eclampsia occurs. So the brain becomes swollen and you are more likely to fit. You're also more sensitive in your reflexes. So if someone taps your your knee or your elbow on the tendon correctly, the reflexes will be very brisk. It affects the kidneys, which is most notable in that protein is lost from the kidneys and also kidney function in severe cases of preeclampsia can be affected. The liver is affected and the liver can become swollen and release more abnormal liver enzymes. Therefore, some patients may present with a swollen liver and tenderness under their ribs on the right-hand side and also pain right in the middle of their tummy, what we call epigastric pain. It can also affect the hematological system, so in other words, your blood and cause you to have abnormal blood clotting tendencies and a low platelet count. And those abnormal blood clotting tendencies can be one of the most catastrophic complications of preeclampsia. So it was, just to recap, it's a condition of pregnancy in the second half of pregnancy that is a multi-system disease and that is cured by delivering the baby. So I'm freaking out. So if you get this diagnosis, should you be freaking out? Because it sounds scary. Not at all, because indeed, as I said, this is the commonest serious complication of pregnancy. And therefore, whilst it might be scary to think you might get it, it's obviously looked after a lot. And for most people, preeclampsia will occur late in the pregnancy. And as I said, if the baby's delivered, you cure the preeclampsia, not necessarily immediately, but it is the beginning of the cure of the preeclampsia. So let's put it this way. If you had preeclampsia and you're 39 weeks gestation, then it's a very simple decision to say on the balance of are the mother and baby better off with the baby in or the baby out 
it doesn't take very much to tip that scale in favour of the mother and the baby being better off with the baby out. But if you're 25 weeks gestation and you've got severe preeclampsia, then it takes a hell of a lot to tip the scales that mother and particularly baby are better off with the baby out. What adds to that is, as I said, preeclampsia is to do with the placenta and therefore in severe cases of preeclampsia, it's very common for the baby to be small for dates. So how much does preeclampsia affect the unborn child in pregnancy? Well, the main risks to an unborn child in preeclampsia are, number one, growth inhibition, so a small unhealthy placenta and therefore a small baby. Therefore, a small baby has less reserves to cope with labour and surviving outside the womb. And also the other risk to the baby is, of course, premature delivery because if preeclampsia occurs prior to 37 weeks and the baby is delivered preterm, then there are risks associated with preterm birth. Interestingly, babies that are subjected to like what we might refer to as a stress while they're in the uterus. So let's say we've got a patient who's 35 weeks with preeclampsia and has a baby that's quite small for 35 weeks and it's necessary to deliver that baby, that baby will often behave a lot more mature than you would expect it to for 35 weeks and for the size it is. And therefore, it seems that the stress of a complication of pregnancy somehow triggers a baby being more mature and more ready to be born so that whilst the baby's in the nursery and it's like only two kilos and it's preterm, it may behave better than, say, a diabetic patient's baby that's four kilos Mm -hmm. and was 39 weeks and is behaving quite immaturely. They're like born resilient. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't. No, (laughs) I was not either. Some of the most difficult decisions you'll ever make as an obstetrician is timing of delivery in the case Mm. of severe preeclampsia in a very premature baby. How common is it? Well, preeclampsia occurs in about 10% of pregnancies, but severe preeclampsia would be closer to 1% of pregnancies. So you said it's likely that it's due to the way that the placenta attaches to the uterus. So does that mean this occurs at random or is it likely to be hereditary or if you've had it once, it's going to occur again or is it, as you say, just the way it plans? I can answer both of those questions. Number one, if you've had preeclampsia before, yes, you are more likely to have preeclampsia in your next pregnancy but more likely than someone in their second pregnancy who didn't have preeclampsia the first time. So the recurrence risk is only about 10%. Ah. 
And that relates to the fact that preeclampsia is very much a condition of first pregnancies. And it's also a bit more common in somebody who has a subsequent pregnancy with a new partner. So it might be your third baby, but you're first with this partner. Again, I'm not saying it's common. I'm just saying it is more common with a new partner. So, for example, if you took all women having third babies, the women who are having their third baby to a new partner, it would be slightly more common. Interestingly, preeclampsia is more common in very young patients and also in older patients. So it sort of has two spikes of, of frequency, one at very young ages and one in the late 30s. What's classified as very young? (laughs) Can you please tell us what young and old is? (laughs) We'd love to know. These sort of statistics are on a slope that, you know, obviously the younger you are, the more likely, but um, I don't want to go into any unsavoury. So you said it's a illness that affects different systems. So does that mean that you can have preeclampsia but not actually have high blood pressure, but it's affecting two different systems? Absolutely. So I'm sure that um, people would be interested to know about HELP syndrome. Interestingly, I was on a train in New York going out to see the baseball and um a guy sitting opposite us on the train was talking about a friend whose wife had had the baby last night and he gave this incredibly accurate description of the fact that his friend's wife had gone into hospital with high blood pressure and something had happened that had caused her platelet count to be low and she had something called HELP syndrome. And for a lay person to describe HELP syndrome so accurately, I felt like walking over to him on the train and like patting him on the back and saying, <laughs> that was an absolute textbook description of HELP syndrome. So HELP syndrome is a type of preeclampsia and the letters H-E-L-L-P stand for hemolysis, elevated liver tests, and low platelet count. So HELP syndrome is characterised by, as I said before, the blood complications are amongst the most serious. So the blood clotting is adversely affected. The liver enzymes, which is done with a blood test, looking at the enzymes that the liver releases, they're elevated, elevated liver, EL, and LP, low platelet count. And interestingly, HELP syndrome, while it's one of the most severe forms of preeclampsia and requires, you know, intensive treatment and delivery, it often isn't associated with significant high blood pressure. So a patient may present with epigastric pain and pain under the rib, as I said, with the enlarged liver and feeling really unwell and perhaps quite edematous but not really have a very significantly raised blood pressure. And I've also seen cases of HELP syndrome in people not having their first baby and babies with their same partner 
I had one patient very sick with HELP syndrome at 34 weeks in a third pregnancy whose presentation was simply pain in the tummy and vomiting and um, subsequent blood tests revealed what the underlying problem was. I feel like it would almost be more dangerous because it would be easier to miss because I feel like taking someone's blood pressure is so easy to get a result right there and then, whereas a pregnant woman with a bit of pain and vomiting is not that abnormal. Like it could just be reflux. Well, as if to clarify your genius, that patient actually presented to the emergency department rather than the labour ward where it was thought that she had reflux and, you know, gastric and and acid problems Mm. and was subsequently transferred across to the obstetric unit when it became clear that the blood tests were so abnormal. And in severe cases like that, this is where I wanted to clarify before I'm criticised, whilst delivering the baby cures preeclampsia, I was careful to say it doesn't necessarily cure it straight away. Yeah. And people will often become sicker before they start to get better. And so if someone has severe preeclampsia and they're delivered, they need to be closely monitored after the delivery, including daily blood tests to check their liver function and platelet count and blood clotting regular checks of their blood pressure and their reflexes because 50% of episodes of eclampsia, the lightning of fitting, occur after the delivery. Wow. So in a way that can be a blessing because fitting whilst the baby is still in utero can be, you know, dangerous for the baby. It does show how important it is to monitor preeclampsia patients after delivery Mm. until they are definitely on the improve. And will they stay in hospital for that to happen or can they go home? It usually happens quite quickly, but if there was still significantly abnormal blood test results and the patient was clearly, you know, had a headache or was feeling twitchy or couldn't stand bright light or loud noises, or the reflexes were still really brisk, you certainly would not send that patient home. If someone has preeclampsia, are they more likely to have a caesarean? The simple answer to that is, of course, yes, because when you think about it, if you had preeclampsia at 25 weeks, you wouldn't be induced. The the, the baby wouldn't be big enough and strong enough to cope with a labour, and the cervix certainly wouldn't be ready for labour. So in obstetrics, everything boils down to two questions. Do I need to deliver the baby? And second, if I do need to deliver the baby, how am I going to deliver the baby? So if the pregnancy has reached a reasonable gestation, let's say 34 or 35 weeks, if on examination the cervix is relatively favourable for induction, and particularly if it was further along, say 39 or 40 weeks, and most importantly, if the patient is stable and the baby is well on the monitoring, then induction for vaginal birth can be considered. 
And interestingly, just as I said that babies in pregnancies where there's been preeclampsia sometimes behave surprisingly maturely when they're delivered, quite often inductions for preeclampsia, the labour goes quite quickly and goes really well. It's almost as if the uterus itself was primed, ready to go. Not always, and I apologise to anyone who has had a caesarean after being induced for preeclampsia, but surprisingly often. So if you were planning to try for a vaginal delivery with preeclampsia, it would be related to the severity of the disease. So clearly someone with a blood pressure of 200 and a low platelet count and abnormal blood clotting and perhaps a very small for dates baby is not appropriate for an induction. But if it was a milder case of preeclampsia at term, then vaginal birth is certainly a possibility. And with preeclampsia, is it something that is more likely than, say, in a woman with a normal blood pressure to go into spontaneous premature labour? Yeah, again, coincidentally, or not necessarily coincidentally, perhaps there's a relationship between the two. Sometimes when a patient presents at, say, 34 or 35 weeks gestation in labour, that when observations are done and and the labour's established, you realise, in fact, that this person has preeclampsia. So, yes, sometimes... People will present in early labour and preeclampsia is part of the picture. Mm. And can anything be done, you know, if you are quite early in gestation and you'd rather not deliver your baby now? Are there things that can be done or do you just have to monitor and make that decision? Well, we do use antihypertensives in pregnancy and in mild preeclampsia where I guess where the major abnormality was simply the blood pressure and there weren't abnormalities in the blood tests and in particular if the baby was growing normally then blood pressure medication can be used and for those listening who've had blood pressure in pregnancy, the main blood pressure tablets that we use in pregnancy are Aldermet, Labetalol and Nifedipine And so we can use blood pressure tablets to try and, I guess you'd say, buy some more time. But if there's evidence that the baby's growth is being compromised, once baby's growth is not going well and is on a low percentile, the fact is that more time probably won't lead to any more growth because fundamentally the placenta has reached its limit as Mm. a pump it is working at 100% and that's the biggest baby that pump is able to support. In severe cases of preeclampsia, we take a different approach and we use a medication given intravenously called magnesium sulfate and that's done under very close monitoring in the delivery suite and the magnesium sulfate medication has the effect not only of lowering the blood pressure but also of significantly reducing the risk of fitting and often will very much stabilise all the signs that we've talked about. But in using magnesium sulphate, 
that is clearly to stabilise the patient and then deliver the baby. Right. It's not something you're going to use and then go, all right, well, we've got things good now, let's wait another Or week. you don't just stay in hospital for three weeks on a drip or anything. No, that's right. the sort of thing that is used. And that infusion would start, the patient would be stabilised, you know, perhaps hopefully so that if they need a caesarean, they could have a spinal anaesthetic and be awake for their delivery. And then you would continue the infusion after the delivery. As I said, there is a risk of complications post-delivery. And then you would gradually reduce that infusion, keeping a close eye on the blood pressure. And usually it can be stopped within 24 hours of the delivery. Wow, we. I know. Do you have any more questions? I, I feel like I've learned so much. Doctor J, Doctor J, how are you feeling? Well, I knew all this, but um, <laughs> no, it's good to get a refresh because seriously, I can't believe how intense pregnancy can be, and then you've just had a whole episode on something so serious that I really had no idea the severity yeah. of. It's it's intense. Well, it's certainly not my intention to cause any alarm. Uh, like obviously, no. I feel like you've done the opposite. You've actually just brought it to people's attention if they do have this or they're going through it. You know, because generally the most alarming thing is when you don't understand yeah. something or don't know what's happening. Yeah, but I see my job as to use terminology like words that will be the words that people might hear if they have this condition. So in other words, when they go into hospital and they're told we're checking your platelet count or we're checking your liver function or we're giving you this medication, they think, right, well, yeah, I've heard that's what happens or we're checking the size of your baby on ultrasound and therefore understanding, right, well, I understand this condition might mm. affect my placenta and a very good way of finding out if it has affected my placenta is checking the size of my baby and looking at it on a percentile chart. And the placental part is what's led to the use of aspirin with a view to trying to reduce the risk of preeclampsia. So there, there is fairly persuasive evidence that if somebody has had preeclampsia in the past, that if they're put on aspirin in their subsequent pregnancy, it reduces the risk of preeclampsia. And the way that works is that aspirin inhibits the aggregation or sticking together of platelets so that when the placenta is embedding into the uterine wall, to put it in simple terms, we're hoping that <laughs> the aspirin would promote a healthier placenta and mother's circulation interface so that the placenta is a healthier placenta. I mean, aspirin has been used for every imaginable pregnancy scenario. Yeah. And studies have been done on, on aspirin in pregnancy for many decades and very few of them have shown a lot of help. But I think one situation where most obstetricians would give people aspirin is where they've had preeclampsia previously particularly if their baby was small. Mm -hmm. So if I'm seeing somebody for their second pregnancy and I haven't seen them for their first and they say to me, oh, I was induced at 
weeks because I had preeclampsia. One of the most important questions I would ask them is, how much did your baby weigh? Yeah. Because if they say my baby was 3.8 kilos, I can with great confidence feel that that was not severe preeclampsia. I'm not saying she didn't have high blood pressure and I'm not saying it wasn't necessary to deliver the baby. But if the baby was 2 kilos or 1.8 kilos, I'd be thinking, right, there's a very significant chance that this was significant preeclampsia. But if the person's already pregnant again, it's kind of too late, right, because that's already embedded? Yeah, well... We would tend not to start aspirin until you're pregnant. There is evidence that the use of of aspirin-like medications reduces pregnancy rates. So I don't encourage people to be on aspirin prior to a positive pregnancy test. Well, there you go, Dr. Timmy, Dr. Jade. He's done it again. Dr. Jade. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Settle down there. Why is that so yeah. funny? <laughs> She's not actually a doctor. For legal reasons, Jade is not actually a doctor. doctor. Thank you so much, Dr. Timmy, for coming back, even though we neglected you for so long. So many um, And joining us again. And we promise we won't leave it 50-something episodes this time. That's half a year. A little steady trickle of followers. Just every now and then that little red dots up over my top right corner of my Instagram and there's another little follow-up. I always feel it's probably someone who follows Beyond the Bump or one of you two on Instagram. Timmy, we don't care about the Instagram followers. We like when you tell us that, you know, you've had real women in your rooms because they listen to the podcast. We don't care about your followers. I even have people like who are the grandparents come and say to me, oh, you know, Sophie's in Fiji or <laughs> I, t- I told my friend's daughter to listen to Dr. Timmy on hyperemesis. And I tell you what, the Beyond the Bump is really, really seeping into society. Did I mention that I went to Fiji, did I? I don't think did. I did I mention that publicly? Oh, I thought I just kept that to myself. <laughs> yeah, well, the, I'm just working on a family vacation there. Oh, mate, please do. <laughs> Let's go. And I'm coming. Yeah, you can come too. Yeah, it's content. We'll do a Beyond the Bump work trip. Conference. Oh, a conference. conference. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Bulla, bulla. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Timmy. Vinaka, Timmy. Vinaka. Vinaka. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.